following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, welcome this morning. Glad you braved COVID and everything to be here. Uh, And for those who are not here and are joining uh, my live stream, we're thankful you're with us as well. All right, let's, uh, uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40, uh, what the world needs now, how to love God and love others. Uh, So we'll begin by reading uh, from Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Um, I've, I've titled this message, um, I was going to just call it Love God, Love People, but um, you'll see in a minute why I changed my mind. It is, I decided to call it um, What the World Needs Now. And, you know, we live in a world that's kind of in a disaster at the moment. And, uh, you know, the question is, why, why can't people just get along, right? And it really, it seems like the strife and turmoil and conflict in the world is just spinning out of control, right? And um, I, part of it may be brought on somewhat by COVID. Maybe COVID has made it worse. I, I think for a lot of people, COVID has not brought out the best of people, right? And uh, But really, it's not COVID. It's really human nature. And, um, you know, it's good to see people wearing masks, and, and I hope you do, you know, honor Thai people wear masks. Uh, you know, some countries, my own home country, for example, like people are having whole wars over whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. And I have friends who tell me, you know, if they wear a mask, people yell at them for wearing the mask. If they don't wear a mask, people yell at them for not wearing the mask. And you can't win. And it's not just like, it's like serious, you know, serious, like it's such a big deal. Um, of course, in Thailand, it's not a problem because there's, there's sufficient social shaming that, I mean, I'm wearing a mask. When I'm out in public, I'm wearing that mask, right? Because I don't want to be given that look. And there's this expectation. So, you know, here we wear a mask. And nobody's going to, it's just the way it is. Although it's funny, um, they may wear a mask, but they, uh, they don't seem to have a problem going to bars and nightclubs, right? Because that's apparently more socially acceptable, right? Which is kind of causing problems for the COVID thing, right? So these are just small reflections of the deep divides that are moving people farther and farther apart. And you know, what can be done about it? Well, it seems like what the world needs is love, right? And it reminds me, I'm old enough, some of you are old enough to remember the 60s. Um, and there was a great song that came out in 1965 by Jackie DeShannon called What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. And of course, there's been some good covers and remakes of that. Um, and uh, it's a good song, right? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's too little of. I would sing it, but um, 
What the world means now is love, sweet love. Not just for some, but for everyone. And it's interesting, she actually wrote this as kind of a prayer. And she addresses God in this, in this song. In, one of the, uh, in both verses, she actually kind of lifts up this prayer to God. And the second verse says, Lord, we don't need another meadow. There are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams, sunbeams and moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know what the world needs now is love. Right? So it's kind of a prayer. And I think a fitting prayer, and it's kind of interesting if you know anything about the turbulence of the 60s, uh, seeing the world also being ripped apart by, by wars and opposing worldviews. Um, she, she said, you know, what would fix all this is love. And, it's, and we could say the same thing today, right? What would fix all the world's problems is if people would just love each other. They would just learn to play nice and be kind to each other. It really would change the world. And I, I think Jesus would agree with this. And in this passage, the Pharisees come to ask Jesus, what's the most important, what's the great command? And Jesus said, love. You know, to love God and to love each other is, is what we need more than anything. Um, now, of course, I think um, what Jesus meant by love may be a little more than what Jackie DeShannon or the average person may understand, and we're going to look at what it means. Um, uh, but, but it really is the medicine that the world needs is to, to love each other. Um, and so, so the Pharisees come with this question, and it's, it's, it's uh, ironic, actually, that this is the third, in, in, in Matthew chapter 22, there's three questions. The Pharisees actually came to ask the first question, and if you remember, their motive or their reason for coming was not because they wanted to just learn from Jesus. But that's not what it is about. They actually came because they wanted to test Jesus, and they really, uh, their motive actually was uh, to catch Jesus, to trap him. And their goal is ultimately to kill Jesus. Uh, so it's a little interesting that they come again asking what the great commandment is when their purpose and their motive is to get rid of Jesus. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so Jesus' answer is, is a little ironic here, right? Uh, if, if, if their goal is to keep the commandments and the greatest commandment is love, it's hard to explain how he's, they're trying to kill him, right? It's also interesting and a little humorous that uh, Jesus badly embarrassed them, uh, if you remember on the first question, about taxes. Jesus just embarrassed them. And uh, they had to walk away with their heads in shame because he made them look so bad. But it's funny, after the Sadducees tried with the second question, and Jesus badly embarrassed the Sadducees about the whole thing about the resurrection, the Pharisees are dumb enough to come back a third time, right? Like three strikes are out. Uh, they think this time they can come up with a question that's going to trap Jesus. These guys are slow learners. Um, but their purpose is unchanged. They're still trying to trap Jesus or at least make him look bad. Um, but the answer, nonetheless, really is what the world needs, and it's what we need. Uh, and, and love uh, really will make a difference in our life. Um, and, and so the question really for us is, are we keeping this, this, the great commandment? Are we really loving God with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength? Are we really loving our neighbor as ourself? And, and what does that look like? What does it mean to love like this? Um, uh, this most important commandment. Um, and, and how do we love a world 
that is also just in desperate need of this medicine. Let's look at at what Jesus says here in this passage. Uh, And we want to look, first of all, at this relationship between law and love. What is the relationship between law and love? It's significant that the Pharisees come and their teacher says, and by the way, um, uh, they they select a, a, a lawyer, uh, the first round, the first question, they selected a disciple. So they picked a student, and, and he failed. So they think, well, with this one, we better send in one of the teachers, one of the big guns. So they pick a lawyer, and the lawyer is not like we think of a lawyer, somebody who prosecutes criminal cases. Uh, the word really means somebody who's an expert in Jewish law, in the Torah. Right? Uh, the first five books of the Old Testament uh, was called the Law. And it, it contained these rules and regulations that governed all of life for Israel. And so the, uh, the lawyers were experts in religious law. And they asked a question that's something they would be experts in. They decided to avoid politics because that did not go so well last time for them. They're sticking to a field where they would be the experts. And this is a question that they probably debated often. Uh, what is the greatest command? Um, uh, and by, by asking that, they're not, they're not saying, uh, like, are some optional and some necessary? Is there one that's more important than the others? They would have considered all the laws uh, essential, important. And uh, there were in the law, uh, by their count, 613 specific commands. Okay, that's a lot of rules, right? Uh, can you imagine just trying to remember all 613 commands? Well, they did, and they were, were diligent to, to uh, not only know them, but the Pharisees specifically were diligent to keep them. And they actually prided themselves on being people who kept the law completely, right? who were uh, diligent in, in keeping all 613 laws. Um, so their question here is not, you know, is some optional? Is there one that we have to keep and others we don't have to keep? Really, their question is, what, what is the one commandment that holds them all together? Like if you could boil all 613 commands down to one, is there one law that best expresses the heart and meaning of the commands? Uh, is, there, is there a single command that really stands for and represents the whole? And they debated this, and there were, there's actually writings of some of their ideas uh, uh, that we're not going to go into. But they want to know what Jesus' opinion on, is on this. And maybe they're hoping he'll say something that will trip him up or make him look bad. Uh, but it's, it's important for us to ask this question because for, for a lot of us, like 613 is a lot of rules. Like, how many of you honestly think you could name all ten of the Ten Commandments? <laughs> we won't put you to the test right now, but I think I would be hard-pressed. I'm sure there's like one or two I would forget, right? Um, 613! Like, that's ridiculous, right? That's way too many rules. And we may think, you know, that's, that's the problem, and, you know, we, we know about the Pharisees that they were very real legalistic, right? And they were, they were so worried about the rules and laws. And we think, well, that was their problem, right? The problem was the rules. And Jesus needed to straighten them out by, uh, you know, taking their focus off all these rules and putting the focus on what's really important and love is what's important. Um, but... Uh, uh, unlike uh, Jackie DeShannon, maybe uh, the Pharisees needed you know, to sing that song more often. <laughs> what the world needs now is love. That, that may be true. Um, uh, 
And, and maybe uh, in, in, in their day, she would have wrote a verse instead of being about too many moonbeams and meadows, about being too many rules, right? What we don't need is more rules. What we need is love, right? Um, so, so what is the deal with all these rules and laws? And is Jesus saying here in this answer, is he saying, well, the rules aren't important. Let's just forget those dumb rules because they're causing all kinds of problems. Let's just love, and that will fix everything. Well, it's important to understand that is not what Jesus says. Jesus says the greatest command, right? And he's upholding in that statement all of the commands, right? Jesus is not pitting the love against rules. In fact, he upholds them all. And, and so why is that? Why is it we need rules? Are, are rules important? Do rules have anything and commands have anything to do with love? Well, actually they do. And, and the, the reality is that relationships don't work without rules. Now, some of you may think that's just not true. I, I won't take a vote, but maybe I will. No, I won't. Um, what do you think about that? Can relationships work just with love, but no guidelines or instructions or rules? Um, the, Old the Old Testament commands were given uh, in the context of covenant relationship. Right? So these aren't just random rules. They were given to explain this relationship between God and Israel. And it was guidelines for how they could live together, how they could be in relationship together. In other words, it spells out how stubborn, sinful, and re often rebellious people like Israel could be in a relationship with a holy and righteous God. And, and the truth is, relationships do not work without guidelines and rules. Okay, now some of you are going like, well, I think that's the problem. We have too many rules, right? Uh, but actually, any human relationship requires some guidelines for it to work. Uh, illustration. Imagine a task as simple as driving if there were no clear rules to govern which side of the road we drive on, right? Uh, that relationship of us all getting out there on a road together that's a relationship. We're doing this together with a lot of other people who I don't know. And this morning on my way to church, on one of the sharp curves back there, this lady I don't know just about took me out, right? Because she cut the corner, going way too fast. And uh, that was not a good relationship moment, right? Because there's rules to govern that. You get your side of the road. I get my side of the road. I'm not sharing, right? I'm sharing the whole road, but not my side, right? Thankfully, I stopped as she blazed by, right? Um, there, there needs to be rules to govern how that works. Without rules, that interaction would, would soon become a collision with others instead of a relationship with others. Um, even in something like marriage, uh, which is a love relationship. Granted, driving may not, we may not characterize as a love relationship, <laughs> right? Um, maybe we should, right? Uh, but ma marriage is, 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 is a relationship built on love, right? It's like love is what draws us together because we are in love with each other. And yet uh, a marriage ceremony is essentially a covenant-making ceremony with rules. Did you know that? Like, you know that part, in the, and I know how it is, you know, a lot of times you get married, you're in the clouds, you don't really know what happened. You should go back and watch the video, right, uh, to find out what you actually said. Because you actually made a promise, you made a covenant to live with this other person, and there were rules. Did you know that, right? 
Rules like this to care for each other no matter the circumstances. In poverty or in wealth. See, it's a rule. In sickness and in health, for better, for worse. Forsaking all others. That means not, not having that same relationship with other people you do with your spouse. Right? Until you're parted by death. There are rules to be governing that relationship. Right? And we, we see that that's important. I would say the, the main problem with the marriage covenant is not that there are too many rules, but too few. I mean, I really think marriages would work a lot better if we would just spell this out up front, right? I will pick up my dirty socks, right? Like you just put that at the very front. I promise to pick up my dirty socks. We've just saved so much. I promise to squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube, right? Just imagine the things it would solve if we had those rules spelled out ahead of time. Um, when I know I'm right and you're wrong, I will keep my mouth shut, right? That should be in the marriage covenant. It would have helped me, save me a lot of problems, right? Um, so uh, so that's, uh, we need rules for relationships to work. And it's true in our relationships with people. It's even more true in our relationship uh, with a, a, a holy God, a holy, eternal God. Right? How do we as sinful, fallen people live in a relationship with God? Well, there needs to be guidelines. There needs to be rules, right? Uh, so some people say, you know, the only rule we need is love. All the other rules just mess things up. Uh, and, and that may actually be true if we were as wise as God. Like if we really knew just absolutely what was the best for other people, uh, that might be true. But the thing is, we don't know. We're not like God. And oftentimes we don't really know the best way to help and love people. We need instructions. And that's what the rules are about. Uh, and, and on top of that, not only do we need instructions because we don't know enough, but the truth is we are by nature selfish. And we are more interested in, our, in, our, in ourselves, in our problems, in, in our needs. right? And we need these guidelines to remind us that we need to be looking out and, and, and in very practical and specific ways know how we care for the people around us, how we should treat one another. Right, so, so the rules are important, but obviously uh, we know that the rules in themselves are not enough. Right? Um, a relationship built only on rules without love would be at best cold and distant. Right? Can you imagine if your, rule was, if your marriage was based only on the rules? <laughs> like, well, I kept the rules, right? But there was no heart in it, it would be pretty cold, pretty empty, right? Nobody wants that. Uh, and at worst, it would be, uh, it would be destructive. But that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying to kill Jesus. Uh, and they were trying to kill Jesus to keep the rules. But something was clearly missing, right? Uh, think of Muslim extremists who are fanatical about keeping the rules. Uh, but the rules mean a holy war killing people who don't agree with them, even fellow Muslims who are not like them. Right, so we understand that rules by themselves are not enough. And so Jesus in his answer says, uh, you, know, you shall love, this is the command. This is the rule that holds them all together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Right? And he says that all the commands, all the rules are held together 
in this one great one. And the second is like it. Right? So there's a second command that's connected to it and that, that uh, has equal status. Right? So, so, so they ask for one rule, Jesus gives them two. But when he links them together, it's brilliant. Right? Because he says that all these commands about how we treat each other are vitally important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. He says, on these two commandments depend or literally hang all the law and the prophets. So not only the law was the Torah, the first five books, the commands, the prophets was the whole rest of the Bible. So he's saying here that not only do the commands hang on these uh, two commands, but actually the whole of Scripture hangs on these two commandments. And the idea of hanging is a, it's like a, a peg driven in the wall and you, you hang something on it. It supports them. It holds it up. Without that, the whole thing falls down and collapses. Right? So uh, all the commands are, are dependent on, essentially dependent on love in order for them to work. Um, uh, and, it, and it supports the rest. Right? So how does it do that? Um, it doesn't do it by replacing them. Okay? But it makes, uh, love makes it possible to truly fulfill them. And Jesus already taught about this in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? That only if you exercise these rules, only if you practice them with love, can you truly fulfill them. Uh, without love, rules turn into empty legalism or moralism. Right? Because love is at the heart of all God's designs and commands. So here's a question. Okay, what the world needs now is love. And here's a question. If we were to go out and ask uh, the average person, even, even here in Thailand, I think the average Thai Buddhist, if you were to ask them, assuming they're you know, a law-abiding citizen, if you were to ask them, are you a good person, what would most people say? Would most people say yes or no? How many think they would say yes? Yes, the yes is happening. Anybody say they would say no? Well, I have asked a lot of Buddhists this question, and every single one of them has said, I know. They don't say, I think. They say, I know I'm a good person, right? I, they would say, yes, I am a good person. And what do they mean by that? Well, what they mean by that is, I keep the rules, right? They mean, I am a good moral person, right? And most people would think not only are they moral, but they're also nice. Like, I'm a, I'm a nice moral person, right? I'm, I'm a good person, um, and, and most people think that, and, and they could probably make a case for it, right? Um, how would you answer that question? Like, are you a good person? Of course, see, we've got theology, so we know we're maybe not supposed to say that. Uh, but, but honestly, um, most people consider themselves to be morally good. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. Uh, if you think about somebody that's, that we would identify as just evil, like a bad person. Think, think, take your pick of a bad person, right? downright evil person. Even them, if you were to ask them, are you a good person? Most of them would say, yes, I am a moral person. I, I, here's an example. Uh, and what they mean by this is they follow the rules. So the recent coup in Burma, right? the general behind all this and, and the people behind this, uh, I think most of us would say, this guy is just wicked, right? He, he's killing people uh, mercilessly. 
Uh, he, he's an evil dictator, right? But it's interesting when you, when you hear him uh, describe what he's doing and explain what he's doing, right? He's not going around saying, hey, I'm seizing power because I'm an evil, power-hungry dictator, right? Never once have I seen him say that, right? Like, like I'm the next bad guy that the supervillain's got to got to get because I'm just evil. No, right? What does he say? He says, well, the elections were rigged, right? The voice of the people were not heard. And I'm just restoring justice, right? I'm a good guy. I've heard him say this. He says, uh, uh, the only way to bring the people of Myanmar together, the only way to unity and oneness is by me taking over. I'm the rescuer of this country. I'm not evil, right? If you were to ask him, are you good? He would say, yes, I'm good. I'm doing the right thing. And he's very careful that he's keeping the rules, right? Um, even though we wouldn't agree with that, right? So, so, uh, so really, that's not even a, a good question to ask, right? That's the wrong question, don't ask, are you a good person? Because, of course, everybody thinks they're a good person. But here's really the question we should be asking. The question is, do you love others the way God loves people? Right? Do you love others the way God loves people? Um, how would you answer that? Right? Well, of course, we'd have to know how God loves people. and We'll talk about that in a minute. But this changes uh, things quite a bit. Because it's one thing to keep the rules, it's another thing to actually care for people, to actually love them. In fact, on a similar occasion, in, in fact, in Luke, uh, this account of the discussion of the great commandment is put in a different spot. And it's very likely that Jesus had this conversation more than once. And, and in Luke, a lawyer comes, a Pharisee comes, and he asks Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus asks him back, well, what does the law say? And he gives this answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, okay, go do that and you'll be saved. Right? You love people like that and you're saved. And remember what the guy answered back? Well, who exactly is my neighbor? Right? He says, you know, if that's the commandment, uh, we, need some, we need some guidelines here because... Uh, Neighbor's a big word. Like, and if I have to love everybody, I don't think I can do that. So let's, let's narrow down so it's something I could actually do. Right? And of course, Jesus shows him in the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan who his neighbor is, uh, which is not what he wanted to hear. Right? Um, many would say they, they do love others. But, uh, but we need to look at the biblical definition of what love is. What is love, right? Um, Jackie, Jackie DeShannon, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I can tell you from the 60s, her answer was not particularly biblical. <laughs> Those from the 60s will know what that means. Those are not, I'll just say, it has a lot to do with sex, okay? You can do your own research, but um, that was kind of what love meant back in the 60s. And uh, I'm not sure that's what Jesus really had in mind, Right? So, so what is love in the biblical definition of the word, the idea, right? Well, the Greek word that's used here is, is of course, the word agape, the word we're familiar with. And we know there are several words to describe love in the, in the Bible. 
Uh, what's interesting about the word agape is it was actually used very little in Greek. Like so, when you when you look through uh, writings in this time, apart from the Bible, you would have to look really hard to find the word agape. And it was kind of a vague, fuzzy word that was uh, obscure and didn't have a real clear meaning. But what happened, uh, early Christians, people like Paul and, and uh, the early disciples, grabbed hold of this word and they gave it their own meaning and definition from Scripture. Um, and uh, just there's a lot of definitions for it, but here's one from Holman, Holman Treasury of Bible Words. describes it this way. In the New Testament, the word agape took on a special meaning. It was used by the New Testament writers to designate a volitional love as opposed to a purely emotional love. In other words, volitional means it's a love that makes a choice to do something for people. It is a self-sacrificial love. That's an important word, self-sacrificial. It is a love naturally expressed by God, but not so easily by men and women, by people. It is a word that speaks of compassion, regard for others, kindness, and true love. Which I hate when people define a word with a word. Okay, That's not allowed. Uh, but let's stick with compassion. True compassion. True concern. True care for people. It is an unselfish love that goes far beyond our natural instincts or even abilities. That is, it is a love that we don't have. It is divine in its origin. Okay, that, that's the biblical definition of love. Uh, love is a relationship word in which uh, we, we, we highly value and even cherish that other person. And because of that, we seek the very best for that person. Okay, that's the biblical idea of love. Right? We're seeking the, the best and goodwill for another person. Um, and the ultimate goodwill is not defined by me or even by them. But ultimate good is defined by God's design and purpose for them. Right? Um, so we can't always give everything, but it means doing what we can with our, our human limitations to help others find the ultimate good, God's ultimate design and purpose for their life. And it's unselfish. Okay, loving people almost always, in fact, I would say always costs us something, even if it's just time or attention or energy. Right? Love always costs us something. Right? If, if, it's not, if, it's not, if it's selfish, like if we're benefit, benefiting from it, it's not agape love. It can be brotherly love. It can be uh, romantic love. See, in romantic love, I'm benefiting a lot, Right? I'm feeling good because this person likes me and I'm in love. That's okay. That's, there's a place for that. But that's not agape love. Agape means I'm getting nothing out of it. But I'm giving for the benefit and goodwill of the other person. Okay. And Jesus says all the commands hang on this. Right? The only way to keep any of the commandments uh, and to fulfill them is to go beyond just doing the right thing and actually be doing the right thing for the right reasons and with the right heart. Because I'm looking out for the best uh, for that person. The best benefit and goodwill for that person. Um, so, so you could put it this way. The rules are the what. right? 
But love is the who and the how and the why of keeping the rules. Let's close with just some practical things, three, well, four practical things about how we do this. Uh, the, the who, what, where, when, and why. Uh, we're not going to do the where or the when, but we're going to do the who, the how, and the why. Right. So just to review again, uh, we're, we're think, talking about love goes beyond just doing the right thing. It goes beyond just being moral. It goes beyond just being good. But it means actually doing the right thing for the right reasons and in the right way, with the right heart that comes from God. So let's review just a little bit. The what is what we're supposed to do. That's the rules, right? Uh, Love, by definition, is doing what is best for the overall good and benefit of another person. It almost always involves some cost to ourselves and often uh, or sometimes even great personal sacrifice. Um, And it's important to note that uh, being good, loving people, is more than not doing bad or harmful things. Like, really what people mean when they say I'm a good person is they mean I haven't run anybody over on purpose, (laughs) right? I haven't stolen from anybody. I haven't beat anybody up. I haven't done bad things, right? Um, But love goes beyond just not doing bad things. Love means actually caring for them and looking out for their good, doing what benefits them and what is in their best interest according to God's purpose, and, and that doesn't mean necessarily giving people whatever they want. Right? Every parent knows this. Right? Um, what, what five-year-olds want is sugar. Like, what do you want to eat? Sugar. Right? What do you want for supper? Sugar. Right? What do you want to drink? Sugar. Right? That, that's it. I mean, like, that's what they want. Uh, love is not saying, well, you want sugar. Here, let me load you up. Right? Uh, every parent knows that's not loving. Right? Because it's not really what's best for them, even though they may believe that, right? Um, so, so it doesn't mean giving people whatever they want, but it really is understanding what is best for them and working toward that end. Uh, and how, how can we love everyone? Well, the, the truth is we are not God, and we cannot love everyone like God does. We cannot solve or fix every problem. But um, when it is in our power to do good, we should do that, right? And, and, there's, um, and even if it costs us something, right? We can't say, I can't love because it costs me something, right? Within our means, within our ability, even if it means sacrifice, love is helping others. Uh, but there are certainly spheres of relationship, right? So driving on the road is one sphere of relationship, and uh, I don't have to have a lot of affection for that lady who almost hit me this morning. Uh, but I, just, I should have some affection, right? And it was, it was actually affection that caused me to put on the brake instead of hit the gas, right? <laughs> well, part of it was self-defense, actually, too. Uh, but, but love is, you know, even though she was in the wrong, I'm not going to prove my point by making her run into me, right? No, I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to deal with her stupidity, by being kind, right? Um, but, but certainly the more significant relationships with a best friend or a close friend or a child or a spouse is, is a much greater level of responsibility, right? So there's spheres of relationship. And uh, we don't love everybody equally, but we love them by looking out for their best interests within that sphere of relationship, that kind of relationship. So that's the what. 
More importantly, though, uh, the who. Who are we to love? Well, he says we're to love God, we're to love others. Uh, those loves are not the same. Right? We love God uh, first. And this is super important, right? Uh, we don't love people and maybe love God. The great commandment is to love God. We are to love him above everything, with all of our heart and soul and mind. That means with our whole being, with everything that we are in our person. Um, and the reality is that uh, we don't have to be too worried about God's best, God's goodwill, right? Because actually God's pretty well got it all covered already. We don't have to work for his benefit, right? God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our love. There's nothing we can do to actually benefit God. So loving God is a little different than loving people. Uh, in the Old Testament, it, it fit more what the Old Testament described love for a king. Uh, in the Old Testament, kings were up here and people were down here and uh, the king did not necessarily need uh, the, the people's help, right? But it was about uh, covenant loyalty and faithfulness to the relationship, right? You were loyal to the king. And if you helped a different king, if you uh, divided your loyalty to somebody else, that was treason to the king. And that's the picture of our love for God. He deserves our undivided worship and affection, our undivided heart. We are to serve him alone, not even other people, right? Because no one else is worthy of this kind of loyal devotion and worship. Right? If we were to give this kind of devotion and loyalty and, and honor to people, uh, it would actually be sin. <laughs> we would actually be breaking the command because we would be dividing our loyalty that God alone deserves, because he alone is good and perfect. He alone uh, will not use that love uh, for sinful ends. Uh, but there is great danger in giving that love to people, because probably, well, it would be idolatry, and they would probably use it for sin in their own life, to inflate their own glory and their own honor. Uh, so we worship God with our heart, with all of our being, uh, but we also love others. But it's important to note that we love others because we love God. Right? Our real motive for loving people is that we love God first. And without loving God, it is actually impossible to love others. In fact, loving people without loving God first becomes self-serving and people-pleasing. It's only as we love God first that we will really come to know and understand uh, how to love others rightly. Um, well, how are we to love? Uh, how are we to keep the rules, right? Love explains how we keep the rules. And we do it not just in a way that's cold, that it is, that is uh, following duty or obligation, but we do it with the heart of compassion. Right? And that's what the Pharisees were missing. Um, if they would have said, Jesus, you know, we need to kill you because the law requires it, but we want to do it with a heart of compassion, <laughs> Maybe they could have been a little redeemed, but that was not, that's not how it worked for them. Right? They had no heart, no compassion. So how we keep the rules is we keep it with a love for people. We care about them. We're concerned about their affairs and their lives. Um, you know, what the world needs is love. <laughs> uh, imagine if people would treat each other, even with their disagreements, 
with genuine care and compassion and concern. And the truth is, the world can't do this, but we can in Christ, right? So, so this is important. This is important for us in the world we live in today, because Jesus calls us to love not just our friends, but even our enemies. And there are people out there who are hating us more and more because they're they're being lied to by Satan. Right? And we need to know how to love them, how to care for them, how to do the right thing for them. Right? Sometimes even speaking truth, but doing it with a heart of compassion. Um, the how also reminds us, though, um, that we need to do it with compassion, but it also reminds us that we are self-centered Selfish beings. And loving God and loving others does not come naturally. How do we love others? Well, not in our own strength. right? Not by our own ability. Not by just trying hard. Uh, the, the fact is, it's impossible. If we're honest, right, it is impossible to really love people like this. It is only as we experience God's love and kindness, and only as our heart is transformed through the power of the gospel, that we will have the capacity and even the desire to love and care for others. Jesus said, it is those who are forgiven much who love much. Only as we come to know God's grace in our own life will we really be able to have this kind of love for others. Uh, the The last one, why? Why do we do the right thing? Right? Love is the why. What is our motive behind helping people? The truth is, you can help people, you can serve people, you can be out there doing a lot of good things and do it for very selfish reasons, right? So people will like you, so people will be impressed with you, so you have a good reputation. Wow, look at that, he's such a good person, right? Our motive can be very selfish. And guess what? When, when our motive is selfish, it... it it means that we're breaking the law, right? Even doing the good things. Jesus said your righteousness are as filthy rags because all the good things you do, you're doing for your own glory. And it's sin. So all the good things you do actually become breaking the law if you don't do it with love. Like love has to be the motive, the reason why we do it. We do it not for my own gain, but for their gain. Not for my glory, but for their benefit. Right? And that's a tough one. Like That's where it really gets down to the real deal. Do you love people like God does? With absolutely no uh, guarantee of getting something back. Well, here's the test. You go help somebody, you go out of your way, you sacrifice, you give up time, and you pour into somebody. And they turn around and stab you in the back. You say, praise God, I had the chance to love that person. Or do you say, what? What? How dare they? Right? After all I did for them. Right? And that moment is the test of what your motive was. Right? Was it love? Or was it self? Right? It's hard to love like God loves. But that's the, the motive. should be that we genuinely care for people. We genuinely love them with God's heart and God's love, and we want the best for them. Let me just close with this last thought. Love really finds its greatest definition and example in the cross. Right? 
God loves us. And in Jesus, he loved us. And, and Scripture says he gave himself up for us. Uh, why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were the enemies of God. We hated him and we were children of wrath. We were under his judgment. And yet, uh, God, because of his great love for us, saved us. He sent Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that we could be reconciled to be reconciled to God, so we could become right with God, and we could become His righteousness. And it cost God immensely, right? It cost God the most costly sacrifice He could make for our gain and our benefit out of his great love and concern for our well-being and our ultimate good. So Jesus says, this is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments... You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.